direct your attention to the screen. What do you do when your mind is there, but your heart isn't? Like, what do you do when you know what sin is, you know what's right, you know what's wrong, you know what you need to be doing versus what you don't need to be doing, and your mind knows, but your heart isn't there yet? So you don't feel remorse over your sin, even though you know something is sin. Are you with me on this? What do you do when there's a gap between your head and your heart? Throughout the scriptures, there's this phrase, wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord isn't pleasant at all. In fact, in one of the most gut-wrenching Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 42, David is literally in a fight with himself. He screams, why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. So his mind knows, don't make a God of that. Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. Bow down before God. Serve God. Walk with God. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why aren't you buying into this? So how do you wait on the Lord if this is you? You position yourself under the waterfall of grace and you wait while you walk in obedience. So one step at a time, one day at a time, asking for God to break your heart, asking for God to restore the joy of your salvation to you, asking God to make him your treasure, asking God, being honest about where you are, whether that be the desert or the low part or struggle, why? Because they who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and no longer be weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Excellent. So, how many people are enjoying this week at camp? How many people feel like they've really heard Jesus' voice this week? Anybody? Getting there? Excellent. Raise your hands real high. How many people so far? Excellent. We'll see what Jesus will do even tonight. Um, it's a really good, uh, powerful clip about connecting the, your mind and your heart and actually putting yourself in that kind of a position. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, and we're going to look at two different scripture verses again. And so just again, to continue to remind you what we've been doing and what we've been looking at this past week, uh, or this, this whole week rather, uh, is that we've been looking at John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, who is on the island of Patmos, he's in a place where it seems like he could have been forgotten, he could be in a place that is very damaging to anyone's heart and anyone's faith, because it is a place of pain, frustration, distance, and loneliness, and yet Jesus comes in the midst of that painful circumstance, and he turns towards him, and he calls to John, and he 
begins to show John what is really going on and what is to come, what he can expect. And what John begins to realize is what he gets to expect is Jesus himself standing in the midst of his churches that he loves and cares about. And he gets to see that Jesus is not distant from our situations and circumstances. He is right in the middle. Right in the middle. The one that's very acquainted with the movements of each person's heart. And so we are seeing Jesus call to his churches. And we're seeing Jesus call to his churches in such a way that though this was written thousands of years ago, it still speaks to us today and there's still a call for us to hear what the Spirit is saying to his church. And that's what we're going to do today. So I want to invite you to do what John did and he and do what the disciples of Jesus Christ did is that they learned to see Jesus as he is by listening to his words. John had a visible visible expressive understanding of who Jesus is. And it overwhelmed him. He walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus every day. And then Jesus ascended into heaven after the resurrection. After bearing witnesses, we've understood, for 500 people. And he ascended into heaven. And then John gets this revelation of Jesus, his friend, and understands him even more as the Lord of the universe. And so we're going to do that tonight. We're going to read these scriptures and we're going to listen for what he is saying to us now. Again, I want to remind you that when you're reading scriptures, primarily what you need to look at is who God is, his character, his nature, and his goodness. And the posture I need you to read these scriptures with tonight is it's all invitation because if Jesus is speaking and you are hearing it, it's invitation even if it sounds harsh. It's still an invitation because you're hearing it. When it stops becoming an invitation is when you're dead. When it stops becoming an invitation, it's when you are no longer able to hear And so this is the reality of who Jesus is and what he is calling us to. And we need to let that scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to let the things that we see by listening, what we are hearing, get deeper into our heart. Whether we feel it or not, we need to, what that clip showed, we need to connect that and just continue to ask, continue to put ourselves in that place so that we can move out in that kind of action. So do head, heart, feet, moving out. And what I need you to hear in this as well tonight is listen for the things that both tweak your heart and satisfy your heart. Every Christian throughout history would look for two things as they're hearing for scripture. They would listen to Words that satisfy their heart and they find peace. But they'd also be paying attention to something called compunction. When you would go, what is that? That doesn't sound, uh uh-oh. And there's something that, I would just call it tweaks your heart. 
And you go, ooh, I don't know about that. Or, ooh, I wonder about that. And what they would say in the history of the church is that you are to pay attention to that until your heart gets satisfied with his peace. Because the tweak can be as much the Holy Spirit as the initial peace. So Jesus might speak something to you that sounds a little bit more scary than you were ready for. And you're to listen to it, look at it, spend time in it. Don't just let it go and go, oh, that was a weird experience. But rather look at what he's calling you to do in it until you see there becomes a satisfaction in your heart. Where you go, oh, I get what he's calling me to right now. Okay? So if you've got your notebooks out or your scriptures out, we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, and we're going to get it up on the screen as well. But for most of you, it would probably be better for you to see by listening by closing your eyes and imagining this. And we need to imagine this and allow the Holy Spirit to speak this deeper into our hearts. And so we're going to have some fun. I'm very aware last night was a, an incredible time of connection and there might not be as much energy for tonight. I'm very aware and I'm not expecting, well, we'll see what Jesus does, but I'm not expecting it to look the same. There's a deep work that's taking place in our heart. And we want to continue to move in that and just respond to Jesus the way he's going to call us to respond. My biggest prayer is that you would, you would understand how to see Jesus and see him in your individual circumstances, see him in your churches by listening to his voice and retraining your heart to listen and listen again and listen again until you get it. Until you get it. I'm super frustrated with my own heart that if it doesn't come quickly, I must think, I often will think, oh, it must not be worth it then. If it doesn't come quickly. And I'm continuing to remind myself of when I learned to play guitar, I could never play the D chord. And I was surrounded by musicians that could play anything they wanted. And I was like, stupid D chord. And when I would play, my finger would not go down. It would always jump back up. So I'd press it, and it would go bloop. Good thing it wasn't the middle finger. But anyway, so it, I would make a really awkward analogy. But so I would be doing it. I would be playing and trying to like practice, 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 and it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And it would just continue. I just kept moving it down. And I came to the point where I was like, I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if this is worth it anymore. Because my brain went, oh, if it doesn't come easy, I must not be very good at it. It must not be something that comes natural to me, therefore I have no talent in it. And then all of a sudden, one day, my finger dropped on it. I like, picked up the guitar after a little bit, went, and I was like, oh, D, excellent. I was like, and most of you are like, that's an easy chord, you are crazy. <laughs> and that's okay. But I can play a D chord now. But... It took a lot of work for me to get there. It took a lot of work for me to get there. There was a phrase that um, was really popular at one time called uh, practice makes perfect. And it got challenged by a bunch of athletic coaches at one point and they said, no, no, practice doesn't make perfect because you can practice something wrong. Perfect practice makes perfect. And so our coach used to make us 
try and we, we played basketball and we did drills and so we'd be dribbling around our legs and moving around and around and around and we would all have to run lines if one of us wasn't messing up at one time because obviously we weren't trying hard enough. We were just comforting ourselves by going, we can do it at this pace and you make us go faster and harder and faster and harder until one of us messed up. Otherwise, we'd just be sprinting the whole practice. She's like, if you're not going to try, then we're just going to make you run. And so I want to encourage you right now to listen. Just because something doesn't come natural to you, just because you don't actually hear God's voice or you can't understand imaginatively how you would learn to see him by listening, these things might not come naturally to you. But if you continue to look and continue to listen as you are looking, all of a sudden it'll come. And once it comes, you'll never forget it. And you'll encounter him. And so we're going to pray for encounter through the scriptures. Okay? Through the scriptures. We're going to pray for encounter. So if you want to close your eyes, I'm going to read the scripture and we're going to go from there. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my, my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat foods, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So you also have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and, wait and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And so, Father, would you speak to us even now in a greater way? Let us see you tonight and see you as you are coming to us. And I'm going to read the second part, starting in verse 3, chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed, 
thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Jesus, again, we ask that you would just continue to speak to us, continue to reveal your amazing word and your amazing life, and may we forever be changed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Come on, everybody said? I I know we're tired. I know we're tired, but here we go. So, interestingly enough, um, I, I don't know how many people have ever done wakeboarding before. Anybody wakeboarding? Tubing? Tubing? If you had an option, would you do tubing or wakeboarding? Wakeboarding, excellent. Um, Tubing, excellent. Tubers, hands up. Wakeboarders, anything else that you want to say? Surfing? So um, so, uh, Keisha, Jazz, and Isaiah's dad and I, and uh, another friend of ours named Ryan, we invented something called wake-earfing. Uh, And this was a long time ago because we were too cheap to buy a wakeboard, but we decided to use one of Ben's old surfboards uh, so that we could could try this in a new kind of a way and see if it worked out. The problem with wake earthing is that it's with a big giant surfboard on a boat that is going really fast and there's nothing to strap your feet into, so you have to hang on very, you have to very much pull on the rope as it's pulling you and then somehow balance on this surfboard in a way that will cause you to not fall off. And so because this is usually the way things work, I had to go first because they were driving the boat and they're like, Sam, see if this works. And so I was, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I could not get on the surfboard properly because as soon as I stood up, I could not turn my feet sideways like a surfer. I was actually riding the the surfboard like this as I was like hanging on for dear life, which is not a good idea because as soon as you're counterweighting, the surfboard easily goes right into the water and this seven foot board goes right up into the air and then drives you into the water. Does that sound fun? It was excellent. And so this actually became something really, really fun for us. So I remember being on this uh, surfboard. Finally, I was able to get it and get going. And what was so cool about wake earthing, and I don't know if we actually invented it, but we'll just pretend for now, um, is that when you get the boat up to a certain speed, because it's a surfboard, you can actually let go of the rope and you will go for a little while. And if you're good enough, you can actually ride the wake of this, um, the boat and begin to surf along the wake of the boat. I was never good enough. Let's just be really straight about that. I was never good enough, but I've seen it done. And so it was, I was like, oh, I want to try that then uh, because I know it's possible. So here's the interesting thing about wake earthing is that for a moment, you think that the boat, you don't need to be hanging onto the boat to do what you need to do. And it's a really crazy feeling. And the interesting thing about that when it comes to Jesus and the Christian life is often we find ourselves when we are doing really well and we think we're killing it that we don't need to do certain things anymore that we were doing before. That we don't need to 
say, read our Bibles. We don't need to go to worship uh, at church. We don't need to be serving and doing things that we were doing before. The kind of things that you end up going home wanting to do after camp, often we can find ourselves not wanting to do that anymore and going, I don't know if I really need that anymore because things seem like they're pretty good. But what happens very quickly is as the boat goes and as the rope goes out while you're on this board, you begin to not go anywhere and then you, you're dead in the water. And you don't have any ability to continue in this motion. And the way Christianity was designed, the way that Jesus walks with us is in very close relationship and so we always need to stay connected to him we awake we always need to stay connected to him this is the a very important fact about jesus in the moment you let go of something and think i'll just do this on my own that's a disconnect and it might be a slight disconnect the most amazing thing about when you disconnect off a, um, off a board, like a surfboard and doing wake surfing, is, uh, is that once you fall in the water and you're just kind of floating there for a little bit, which is like, honestly, it's my most traumatic event uh, because I always think, even if you're in a lake, that some shark is going to be in there. And uh, I know that it's not really feasible, but it just really, I'm looking around going like, ah, please boat, come back. And, uh, and so anyways, uh, my worst thing is when guys are having fun on the boat and they're all talking to each other and then they don't realize that you've already let go of the rope and you're already in the water and they're going so far down there just laughing away, be like, ha, 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 this is awesome. And they're like, hey, shh, come back. <laughs> and so anyways, the reality of this is that God turns the boat around and comes back towards you and reconnects you to your rope. And that's a lot of what's gonna take place, I believe, even tonight is that there needs to be a connection and a holding on, a holding on. So let me tell you about the Church of Pergamum, interestingly enough. Did anybody, anybody really, when you were looking at Jesus on the very first night, if you can remember this far back, did anybody focus on the sword of his mouth? Was that an image that he reminded you of? Anybody? You did. Fantastic. So the sword of his mouth, anybody else? I just don't know if I saw. You got sword, mouth, sword, excellent. Very good. So pay attention to this, interestingly enough. So the church of Pergamum gets the, the sword of Jesus' mouth. That's the beginning way that Jesus enters into conversation with them. Do you know that was the symbol of their city, was the sword? This isn't random. He's not going, and I'm going to give you a sword. That's the symbol of the city. And it was the only city in that area that was given the right to execute people. They had the death penalty there. And so Jesus attacks or moves in with what the city is known for. Again, so personal, so attentive. He's speaking from inside, in the middle of these churches. And this kind of stuff might not blow your mind yet, but the longer you get to know Jesus, it's going to blow your mind how intentional he really is and how specific he really is and how tailor-made he is and does his stuff as he's moving towards you in love. It's a big deal because lots of us feel like we're hidden from his sight. Lots of people feel that we're just alone and we're overlooked all the time. 
Because we walk into high school and we feel oblivious. We feel rejected. We feel like nobody notices the things that we have to give. And Jesus goes, oh, I notice. And I notice a lot more than what you are paying attention to. Another thing about the city is that it says where Satan dwells. This is a big deal. That's, that's kind of like a, a crazy statement. One of the ways that it might be where Satan dwells and why Jesus is saying that is because one of their most famous temples that they had was a snaky temple, which is disgusting. And so what people used to do is that, and usually in the Bible, a snake is associated with Satan. And what they would do is they would go, they would travel for miles coming to this city. If they had any sickness at all, they would sleep in a temple filled with snakes. All apparently not poisonous snakes or snakes that have had their poison taken out. And it was considered to be a touch of the gods if you actually were touched by a snake and you would be healed if you were touched by a snake in a temple filled with snakes. Except if you know anything about snakes, and unfortunately I know a little bit too much, snakes love to touch you if they're close to you. That's what they will do. It's not rocket science. It's like you got a lot of body heat and they want to get up close disgusting people. Anyways, it's a side note. <laughs> that's my worst temple in my worst city. I'm just like, nope, would never go there, and that's gross. Another one is that they had this giant temple to Zeus. Giant temple. It was so big that actually when the sun would hit the um, city, uh, in the, in like, at, at like noon and stuff like that in particular, um, the shadow of the temple would cover the whole city. Is that not mind-bending? Like, I don't know. This kind of stuff I just geek out on really quick. But I, I'm like, so they'd say where Satan dwells. So this, it was overshadowing this kind of thing. The last thing that I'm going to tell you about Pergamum is it was very famous for its library. It had 250,000 parchments, books, okay? Parchments was there. The actual word parchment came from the word Pergamum at one time. And so they were constantly full of ideas. So they had lots of conversations, lots of opinions, lots of people being teachers. They were very much in a place where the battle for the mind was constantly taking place. In a world very much like ours, we are so inundated with opinions and stories and concepts and ideas and we are beaten down in such a way that you often can feel like you are powerless to say anything about somebody's opinion that you know is contrary to the word of God. I don't know if you've ever been in an awe, a church service, a camp service, and somebody begins to say something very awkwardly and your stomach just goes, and then you don't know what to do because you're like, oh, I feel sick by what you're saying right now. I don't know if that ever happened before, but anyways. Um, and then you are listening and you don't know how to deal with it because you think, well, that's their opinion. That's just their opinion. That's their point of view. And we have been told in our Canadian society in particular that we are not to attack people's points of view. That we're just to let people kind of think what they want. Well, that's, that's, I guess that's okay. It's, it's what you want to think. Do what Jesus says in this word to Pergamum? That he is completely intolerant 
towards opinions, concepts, teachings that are contrary to his word, and he will not let it stand. And he says this, either the church, Pergamum, you're going to step up and you're going to begin to counteract the stuff that is being told to your people, the stuff that's being told to your city, or I'm going to do it. I'm going to come fight you with the sword of my mouth. I'm going to do battle because Jesus' love is so intense for us. He will not let us be involved in things, untruths, deceptions, lies that will cause us to have our hearts grow cold, that will cause us to not follow him fully and wholly and devotedly. He is absolutely passionate for this, and you need to catch this in your head because when you let false truths happen in your heart, it does damage to you. It does damage to you. That's why Christians are meant to be the most discerning. We're to train ourselves to be discerning. And when we hear stuff that makes us go like, ah, then we run to somebody like Pastor Jerry and we go, Pastor Jerry, my, I just heard this thing today and my heart went, ah, is it true? And then you go, Pastor Jerry, we go, no, it's not. Now it's wrong. And then you go, oh, good, I knew. And you just trained yourself in discerning. Make sense? Tracking? You train yourself. Do you know most of you didn't start out good at video games? <laughs> Do you know that? Now, I know everybody that like, plays a lot of video games, I'm not going to get you to raise your hands, but I, but I know that people that play a lot of video games, you just think you naturally were good at it. But you weren't. You were just as bad as someone like me. And so you would actually, you trained yourself to discern the movements of the keys and the buttons and the stuff and the joysticks and whatever and all that kind of stuff shows you how good I am. I play the Wii, so anyways, like this. Anyways, uh, but, I, but I'm telling you, you train yourself and you're, you know how you train yourself mostly? You're looking at your friends that are over going, oh, you hit this level? How did you do that? Did you do this thing here? Did you do this thing here? I got a lot of video gamers at our church, and, uh, and I lose it when, like, I'm, I don't mean lose it angry. I just, like, I'm like, what are you guys even talking about right now? It's like, we did this and this and this and this and this and this, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, anyways, I, so, but you trained yourself to discern right from wrong and discern, well, that was just not a good idea at this video game point, but this was a better idea, and you trained yourself, and now some of you are just, like, supernaturally good at video games, Right? A lot of other things. You train yourself to discern, right? A lot of girls, when they're starting to do their makeup for the first time, train them yourselves to discern because this is what you're doing for the most part is that you do your makeup and you try that extra little bit of something and you are going the whole day trying to see if someone's going to notice. You're like, please notice, please notice, please notice. And someone's like, man, nice eyes. And you're like, yes, did it. New lashes, we're in. And then it's like forever now, those lashes, that they're going on. It doesn't matter what's happening there. Then you go to camp and be like, oh, my lashes broke. Oh, no. Oh, no. Too much? But you train yourself. Like, it's, it's, it's this simple. You train yourself. And then you do something where you put a little bit too much foundation on one day, and somebody looks at you and goes, 
I can see a line across your face here, and I don't know if that's okay. Do you have a mask on right now, or is that like, and you're like, oh, I get it. I shouldn't be doing that anymore that way. You train yourself. You train, you're listening, and you go, oh, that didn't work like that. That wasn't what we were supposed to do. Make sense? So you, tra- you train yourself to begin to do this in a way that, and it's a natural thing to train yourself, and you train by listening to others, and you train by aligning it to the truth of what really is there. Like guitar players that play out of tune. Most of you, whether you, whether you are musicians or not, can notice when somebody's playing out of tune. You can go, oh, mm, mm, oh that sounds, oh, wrong, right? And it, goes, it causes you to be like, I don't know if that was a good idea. And guitar players get to also do that, and guitar players that don't train themselves get kicked out of the band. <laughs> right? At least they should be kicked out of the band and trained elsewhere. <laughs> in their basement. But they get an opportunity to go, oh, hey, so somebody will be there, and this happens all the time uh, when you're like working with people in bands and stuff. You just go, hey, buddy, I think you're out of tune. And then they go, oh, I'll check. I'll check. They hit their little foot thing, and they go, dun, dun. yeah, oh, that was me. I was out of tune. And you get to check with the truth. Make sense? But we all... Do that in community. We discern things in community. And the importance of church and life and youth group and young adults ministry and conferences and camp in particular is you begin to train yourself to discern what's right and wrong in the midst of a context of other people. And you're dumb as anything, if you just continue to think that you're perfect and you haven't, like, you already know everything. You just don't do that. And so you train yourself by being around others, in particular train yourself by, with the word of God and listening to that. And as preachers preach, you go, oh, okay, this is interesting. Because let me tell you a little secret about preachers, or at least the preachers that Pastor Jerry lets preach here is that we're not doing this because we want to prove a point to anybody. We're not doing this, I'm not doing this in particular because i got nothing better to do. So I'm like, well, you know, I could just go to camp for a while and just talk. I'm not an egomaniac. I actually don't care if people are listening to me or not. I have a wife and she listens to me all the time. <laughs> I get all my listening done, all my needs to be listened to from her. I actually don't need to talk. I'm doing this because I feel like I have a word to give you about this, about what Jesus is calling you to, and I'm just being obedient, and I'm learning to discern as I go too. And this is something that we get to do together, and it matters. So what was Jesus so fired up about? What was he so fired up about? He was fired up about two things. Two things. One, the teachings of, and you're going to see it in both these two categories of churches. Remember, tomorrow we get to the big main point, right? The big overarching theme, that's tomorrow. But for today, this kind of hones into a major point. And the major point is this or the major point for tonight is that the teachings of 
the Nicolaitans and the teachings of the Balaam people, they actually are the same word in Hebrew and Greek. Okay? Interestingly enough, in Hebrew and Greek, they mean the conqueror of the peoples. The conqueror of the peoples. And so these things, both in Hebrew and Greek, same thing, it means to that their teachings were meant to conquer you. And yet Jesus calls us to be conquerors. So their teachings are affecting people's hearts. And these teachings are very close to home. They are very, very, very close to home. And they might not sound like it right away. First of all, the Christians were buying into the untruth or the deception that it was okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. And secondly, they bought into the deception that sexual immorality of all kinds was okay. So what does that look like? We'll start with food sacrificed to idols. In a nutshell, food sacrificed to idols looks like one of the arguments, and both these arguments you can find in Corinthians because Paul attacks it, and he goes, these are the attacking, like these are the arguments that these Christians are calling themselves Christians and they're teaching from the front and the people of Pergamum and Sardis are going, oh, oh, that's good. And some of them are going like this. They're going, ah, I don't think that's good, but I guess it's their opinion and so they're entitled to it, so I don't really know if I should say anything. And they are saying in particular, they are saying that it's okay, it's okay to go to a temple and participate in the eating of the foods and meats sacrificed to an idol because it doesn't matter, idols aren't real anyways. So maybe it's only a dance club. It's only, it's only a party with a lot of crazy things going on. It's just a party. It's only kind of a little bit of witchcraft. It's only, we're just playing a card game. It's only, it's only, it's only. And they would be in this place and this space of saying, well, that stuff really isn't real, so I can kind of do whatever I want when I want. And they're like, well, food sacrificed to idols, it's good steak. It's good steak, so what's the big deal? Why, we're just gonna throw it out, I might as well eat it. The idea behind this is that food and eating of food was not a neutral act. It was actually, remember we talked about it even in the story of the prodigal. We talked about how it was a fellowship, a welcoming, a bringing into relationship. It was a full participation, meals in that time. It was a full participation, and they were participating in the idol worship. More importantly, they were participating in the demonic stuff that's going on behind it. Because a lot of us are buying into a couple things when it comes to this, and this is where it gets close to home. A lot of us are buying into, well, but that's my favorite TV show. And it has stuff that is directly counter to the word of God. Not just directly counter to the word of God. Something directly defiling and assaulting to our very beings as humans. Dehumanization. 
And we go, well, it's just my favorite TV show. Or we'll go, well, it's just my favorite song. And we'll go, ah, you know, I will just listen to that song because it sounds like a good song. It's got a really good beat. And I know the words in the song are a little awkward and probably wouldn't play it at camp in front of people. But, like, it doesn't really affect me. And Jesus says, no. Yes, it does. Because that's participation with something that's counter him. I know this gets really awkward because some of you would start arguing with me about different songs. Here's where I need to get you to get the bigger concept. Because guess who is not out to get you having no fun? First of all, I'm not out to stop you from having fun. I'm not out to wreck your life and go, you know what, that TV show that you're watching, you are going to hell. We're not going to play that game of, you look at you sinners. I see you watching that show. I see you laughing at that joke. You laughed just enough to make me angry. <laughs> Do you know who's not out to kill our joy? Jesus. Do you know how I know that? Because he's all out for what we would call the abundant life. The abundant life. And most of us, we've bought into our culture so much in our heads that we don't think Jesus knows what the abundant life is. Because we do, whether we like it or not, think that Jesus floats around and just goes, I was just playing with my stick. And disciples being a disciple is like, da, 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 hi, Andrew. <laughs> just think that there's this uh, disconnect between fun, real fun, and being a disciple of Christ. And yet, the creator of the universe says, no, 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 the enemy, Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, hits you with a triple whammy of pain, and yet I came to bring life and life to the full, the abundant life. And we just go, yeah, but Christian music sucks. That can be true. Let's just be honest, okay? There is some Christian music out there that should never have been produced. That might be true, but not all Christian music sucks. Oh, there's times when I've been at this camp and like stuff that's produced even in this church that I just go, this, like, can I just be here forever? Can I just be in this place? Music is God's idea, right? And music isn't controlled by the devil. Music isn't the devil's gig. I know you guys have heard a philosophy about that, about, well, Satan was the worship leader in heaven, therefore he kind of controls the music down here. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't. You're like, oh, really, what? Satan, worship leader in heaven? Why did I even say that right now? Anyways, <laughs> can't explain it right now. I gotta get going. Just, it's a random crazy story, but anyways, God booted him out of, and it's like, Pfft. anyways. Uh, but heaven, okay, so music in particular, God created music, and God created joy. God created fullness. And the truth is that the fullest life in Christ is the best life ever. And do you want to know something mind-bendingly crazy? 
All stats will say, Christian and non-Christian stats. More importantly, lots of Christians don't even do stats, so most of our stats we're getting from non-Christians, secular ones. They will say that the Christians live happier, more full, more abundant, crazier, awesome, more enjoyable lives than everybody else. Just, it's a, like, it's a, it's a provable stat. And most of us buy into the culture like Pergamum and Sardis and we go, yeah, but what if, what if it's not as fun as I thought it would be? And sin seems fun. Do you know there's a proverb that says stolen bread is sweet? Okay, now mo- most people are like, why would I steal bread? <laughs> like, I don't care about bread. <laughs> stolen bread is sweet. Do you know, but then when you eat it and consume it, it says it turns into gravel in your mouth that the end result isn't so good. You know what I'd like to kind of just maybe relate it to? It's kind of like eating McDonald's. Now, some of you are young enough that your bodies are not affected by McDonald's, but as you get a little bit older, man, McDonald's tastes so sweet. That fake food is just like, oh, baby. And you smell it, and then you get those fries, you get that milkshake, and you get that, like, whatever it is that you're on that team with. And I know some of you have been trained well, so you're like, what's McDonald's? <laughs> what is that place of golden happiness? But you start eating that, and it doesn't do anything good in your body. So you're part, you think the f- abundant life is participating in McDonald's, but McDonald's turns weird in your stomach. Okay? It, let's be honest. It really does. And so that's very much like sin and buying into the culture of this day, is that when we are participating in this stuff, it's actually going to do us harm in the long run. And some of us just go, well, but it's good for right now, therefore, I want it now. But I'm, I'm not even talking long run as in like 20 years from now. I'm talking like long run two weeks from now, some of this stuff, okay? And what you need to pay attention to in this is the initial movement of the Holy Spirit in your heart, which some people would call a conscience, or that tweak, where you're watching something and your heart goes, oh! Probably shouldn't be watching that. You know what happens when you press in and continue to watch it? It's called the searing of your conscience. It begins to damage you from recognizing that the next time. Does this make sense? Therefore, if you've been pressing into those areas, you no longer have a valuable opinion as to what's right and wrong, and you need somebody else to come alongside of you and go, "Uh uh-uh, have you seen what you're watching? That's not okay. Have you seen what you're listening to? Do you not understand what they're singing about? I have so many random songs going through my head right now. Sorry. Getting distracted. It's all about that bass. About that bass. No treble. Man, oh man. I'm not going to interpret songs tonight. Why are you laughing at that song? (laughs) Do you know that song? (laughs) That makes me very, very angry. The second thing that both these churches were buying into, okay? The second thing that both these churches were buying into was sexual immorality. 
and there was this teaching and this concept, okay? I'm going to explain what sexual immorality is in a minute, but there's this teaching and this concept out there that basically they came up with this great theology saying you can do whatever you want sexually with anybody you want and there will be no consequences to it and here's why in the Bible. That's what these guys were doing. And they're teaching it. They're like, well, would you turn to the passage of, I'm going to hell in a minute, but anyways, would you turn with me really quickly to the opinion, second opinions, chapter four, as we delve into the text of me. They began to, they began to talk about the idea that what you do with your body doesn't actually matter. What you do with your body doesn't actually matter. And that your soul matters. So they actually based it on the resurrection. They're like, well, you're gonna le- your body's going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. Therefore, ha, we're just going to leave that thing behind. It's going to be redeemed anyways, so we can just do whatever it is that we want anyways with whoever we want. And in that day, in that age, it was the easiest to be as sexually promiscuous as you wanted to be. It was the easiest In fact, in that day when John was writing this, there was actually a time of night that if you were a young lady or a slave and you were around the after-dinner party, that was you giving consent for anybody in the room to do anything that they wanted with you. Which is why when Christianity exploded on the scene and they began doing the agape meals, the love meals, and they began doing the Lord's table together, women and slaves began to flood into those places because that was the only safe place they could be at night and then they were treated as people that were equal at the Lord's table. And so Christianity began exploding through women. Crazy. And slaves. But it began exploding through them. And there's a bunch of reasons as to why. But in the early church, that women began to convert other women. And more importantly, women began to convert their pagan husbands. And they began to shift and shape the whole empire. But let me tell you about this. This idea, okay, sexual immorality, we believe it too. We believe that pornography and masturbation, we believe straight up that it does not affect our body. We believe it doesn't affect our spiritual health, or at least even if we do believe that it affects our spiritual health, we don't really think that it does. Because we come into a worship service and we come to camp and then we still feel something of Jesus, so then we go, it must be okay. If you can remember the first time you began exploring with that a long time ago, maybe some of you, it's a new thing. But you remember the first time that you explored with something like that, you might have, if, especially if you grew up in church, might have thought the next day God's going to hit you with lightning. Maybe not. Maybe you grew up in a good Sunday school and I didn't, but maybe understanding that this idea of sexuality and doing things like this, you need to know that according to the Bible, the body, your body is you. You are your body. You don't just have a body Everything you do to your body actually affects your spiritual health, and I will go there, including tattoos. Now, I am not on the team of killing your fun. 
I'm not on the team of debating with you, are tattoos right or wrong? I am merely declaring to you everything you do to your body affects your spiritual health. You better know that you will not get away with it. What you eat affects your spiritual health. What you eat affects your whole body. That's why you start exercising. You often want more of Jesus. Do you know that actually what you do in your body when you exercise, when you press through to a goal, you will actually do that spiritually as well? You will finish something that you start spiritually. Your body affects your spirit and your soul. So if you want to go further in Christ and you are exercising like running, for example, you want to make sure you set a finish line and you prophetically declare that you are running through that finish line. You don't even have to. Just make it through the finish line and your body will tell your spirit you're a finisher crazy stuff but it actually matters but guess what the world is challenging you with right now that it does not matter that you can hook up shack up and break up and it'll be okay but that young lady from sex in the city said one time maybe you only have a certain amount of tears to cry for certain amount of guys even the world is starting to pay attention to maybe you just get all dried up inside. Do you know that there's actual crazy things that begin to take place in your body when you are participating with stuff that has long-term consequences that none of us want? And I am not on the team of trying to scare you into something. I want to just merely show you tonight that what you do in your body actually affects your spiritual walk, actually affects more than any of us want to pay attention to. Does that mean that like, we're supposed to be perfect and be a bunch of robots that never do anything fun? No. No. Christianity, do you know why God made food taste so good? He wanted us to enjoy it. That's why if you do a steak, how many people know what a steak is? Don't say that. How many people think they know how to cook a steak? If you're going to use anything to do with a pan, you've already failed. <laughs> Just joking. How many people like chicken wings? How many vegetarians do we have in here that love super salads? Yeah? Vegetarian salads? Okay, I love salad. Oh, man. I never used to like salads, and then my wife decided to put meat in my salad with steak. I was like, oh, I like that salad. That's a salad. Then the occasional lettuce would kind of get on my steak, and I'd be like, oh, well, okay, I'll eat you too. <laughs> do you know that, you know what you're supposed to do when you eat a steak or you eat a nice meal? And maybe some of you are coming to the point of dating and you're going to go for a nice meal somewhere. McDonald's is not a good idea. <laughs> but taking notes is good. Do you know that eating some, some nice meal, do you know what you're supposed to do? That's supposed to roll into worship. 
It's supposed to go, oh my goodness, this steak is so good. Oh Jesus, you are so much better. And that might sound a little bit weird. You don't actually have to verbalize that to your date and be like, oh Jesus, (laughs) oh Jesus. Like you might not get a second date if you do that. But I mean in your heart, you realize, man, that steak was good. If it's this good now, what's life going to be later? Do you know what we get to do when we meet Jesus face to face? We get invited to this thing called the marriage supper of the lamb. And if you've ever been to a great wedding party where they actually don't just like give you a couple little things, they give you tons of food, that's a good day. (laughs) and you're like, you get to eat all this and this and this, and you're like, this is a happy, happy day. What's that going to be like with Jesus? How many people think that Jesus knows how to cook? Apparently. I mean, it's in John chapter 20. (laughs) He does, apparently. And that, so do do you hear what I'm saying right now? Okay, I'm being a little bit, I know you're tired tonight. I'm not going to go much longer than this. But we've bought in we bought in to this idea that Jesus is all out against us and he's not for us. And we buy into everybody else out in the world is having fun. And their idea of having fun, apparently it wasn't that fun because most of them keep saying they never remember it anyways. Dude, what did you do that last weekend? <laughs> I got smashed. I don't remember anything. In fact, I owe my parents thousands of dollars because I broke their house. They don't remember anything. And that's fun? No. There's something so hidden and deceptive about what the world calls fun. Do you know what's not fun? All the girls that my wife and I counsel when they've just done something with a boy. And they're crying, going, I cannot believe this happened. Do you know what's not fun? The boys that we get to counsel and go, I did this and I just got this person pregnant. What am I going to do? Do you know what's not fun? The world that we think you're going to get away with it. And that doesn't affect your heart. I'm not going into overly specifics right now. I could, I could make everybody in the room, with the amount of stuff that I know about this, I could make everybody in the room either throw up or make you think you're going to die very, very quickly. Just by telling you what you're involved in, should I could tell you what you're involved in for the most part. It's not rocket science because most people are involved in this at some level. It's very common And that's what Jesus is attacking. And he's saying, I'm coming towards you soon and I'm going to fight against you with the sword of my mouth. I'm going to cut through the lies. I'm going to separate the stuff that's untrue because you are too valuable for me to let you keep doing the things you're doing, thinking it's going to be okay. It won't affect me. It hasn't to this date. That's what this church was saying. And that's what Jesus said, oh, I'm coming soon and it's not going to go so well for you if you're not paying attention. And do you know that's called grace? Do you know what grace is right now? Grace is me being at this camp giving you this sermon. Because the heart doesn't just get to love whatever the heart wants to love. 
Some things, Jesus says, you don't get to love that. That's an untruth. Are you listening tonight? It's not what you feel like you get to do it. You know where it gets really awkward? And I'll just play this game real quick. Because I know it's really fun if you're like a kind of hipster, girly girl, like just like, or a, I mean like a girly boy girl, hipster, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, all fun, it's all fun and games if what you do you think doesn't affect anybody. But I want to encourage you that the sexual stuff that you're participating in and thinking it's not hurting anybody because it's just me is affecting more than you think. You carry it in you because you're participating in the demonic activity that is behind that action. Do you hear me? You're participating in the demonic action. There are demonic actions associated with those movies, those things, those images. It's all gross. And we think, well, it's not hurting anybody. If we were strictly allowed to do whatever we feel like, guys like me and Ivan would be allowed to punch anybody in the face that we wanted. Do you know what goes through my head a lot? I want to punch that person right now. <laughs> but society would go, dude, you can't do that. Dude, that's going to hurt somebody. But it actually, it does. It goes through my brain. There's my confession and my repentance. It goes through my brain. Do you know how many times I've ever acted on that? Zero. Why? Because the narrative or the culture in our story, in our world, the narrative or the story in our world says that's not okay. Okay? You tracking so far? Okay, I'm going to be closing very quickly. See if we can land this. The narrative or the culture, cultural story says that's not okay. But you know what the narrative or cultural story says about things to do with sexuality or music, YouTube videos, TV shows, all that kind of stuff, certain movies, parties, says as long as you're not really hurting anybody, you're okay. As long as it's just what you feel like and you're just kind of participating in it, you're okay. And the stories that we buy into is it's going to be okay. Or, worst case, well, at least I tried it and it was kind of fun. And that story is a story that many people buy into on a regular basis. I'm here to tell you tonight, it's not a true story. And one of the greatest things we could do for this generation is to preach a different story. My friend Nate and I were talking and he was telling me his testimony about him telling one of his friends a different story and the story that Nate is living. And you know what that different story began to do? Different story about purity and the different story about waiting and the different story about pursuing Jesus in the midst of this, in the midst of his dating relationship. You know what his story did? It, it rocked the guy's world because he went, you mean people actually do that? Do you know the world is waiting for you to actually believe Jesus? Like actually believe him. And go, your promises are so good. So good. That I'm going to believe you. And go, well, if you say that's a bad idea, I'm going to just trust you. And I mean, don't trust lamely. 
Don't be that kid that goes, oh, Jesus doesn't want me to go to a party, so I'm just going to sit home and have no fun. You know what the worst thing is when people get saved and they, re- they realize they come into Christianity like that where Christians, all they do is watch kind of not okay, like they watch okay movies. It's like a common Christian culture. It's like, what are you going to do tonight? Let's watch a movie. Do you know what's not okay for Christians? They're like, ah, uh, parties seem like they were a little better at one time. What about being a Christian and actually pursuing a full life in Christ and doing things that actually are amazing, that actually are fun and breathe life into things? You know what every non-Christian person that has served in our soup kitchen has got saved, just about? Because they realize that serving is actually really fun. It's just crazy world. Maybe, Dave, you want to come on up here? Look at this, we're going to end. I want you to pay attention to a couple of the promises that Jesus gives to these churches. And I'm telling you, this is so... Without going, if I could have a one-on-one conversation with each one of you, I would love to unpack the different untruths that you have believed and actually compare them to, not my opinion, but the word of God. And go, how does what you think line up with the word of God? And you might think in your heart, because you buy into these stories, well, that's just lame, or that's being like a Bible thumper. No, no. That's called being a Christian and actually believing that Jesus is good enough that if he said it, he wasn't doing it to wreck your life. He's doing it to save your life. He's doing it to pursue you in a crazy way. So check this out. Listen to his promises to these churches. To the one who conquers, isn't conquer a good word for tonight? Because it's going to feel like conquering when you have to go home and your computer screen is in front of you. It's going to feel like conquering when you're going to go home and your boyfriend's waiting for you. It's going to feel like you're going to have to conquer something. And for a video game culture that we live in, conquering is just leveling up. Just beat the level that you're on. Beat the level that you're on. Okay? It's going to the next stage. It's discerning how to get there. And so this is an idea. Or this is a promise, rather. I will give some the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one that receives it. Hidden manna. You know what manna was in the Old Testament? Manna was how God sustained his people by giving them bread from heaven. And God's saying, I'll give you this. And they'll say that manna was so sweet, it tasted like honey. That it was so beautiful and it was so wonderful and it wasn't just something that's like, oh, I don't know what this is. It was something that satisfies. When you hear that again, if you ever read Revelation after this, when you hear I'll give you the hidden manna, he's saying I'll give you that which will satisfy you more than anything you think or imagine. And then Jesus gives this other word to those that overcome or those that conquer. He says he'll give you a white stone. And one of the best interpretations of what this white stone was was a friendship stone. A stone that they would split into half and one friend would write on it his name and then you would write your name on it and then you would give each other the stone, the opposite stone, the stone with your name on it. And for as long as that stone lasted, that was how long your friendship was gonna last. That might sound a little too cute and girly, pretty tight when Jesus is giving you that stone. Like if any of you have a stone like that with Jesus' name on it, I'll buy it. 
like it's pretty cool. But you know what's even better about that? That you could almost understand? It's almost like the exchanging of wedding rings. So do you know, you know what never gets old to our culture? Even to people that hate Jesus Christ. When a man and a woman exchange rings and then they kiss. They're like, <laughs> they love weddings, no? I love weddings. Weddings are awesome. It just like, it makes people crazy. Like when you're a young little kid, my girls go nuts over weddings. And they used to even go crazier over weddings until they realized, oh no, wait a minute, I might get married one day and that means I'll have to move away from daddy. I don't want to get married anymore. Like, I don't know about this wedding stuff. But, but it's, it might be better for you to understand it this way. The exchanging of rings. Because what Jesus is actually saying is as you overcome and has, as he helps you overcome, he is going to give you everything that satisfies you, truly satisfies you. And he is going to give you something so incredibly intimate and precious that you and him will share. Something that is nobody knows. And one of the coolest things I think that couples do with wedding rings is they write an inscription in the ring that only the spouse knows about, the one that they marry knows about. It's like this little hidden secret about what this is, the intimacy, the level of intimacy. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is standing here tonight in the middle of this room saying, I'm the only one that will satisfy. If you're confused by anything that I've said tonight, because I just didn't feel like I could build it out the way I was hoping to tonight. I feel like there's even resistance on it. What you need to hear at the end of the day is that Jesus is calling you to intimacy and what you do with your body detracts from that intimacy. It's not about what you can't do anymore. It's about what you get to do with him because he is life and so he is standing in the midst of this saying I'm not going to beat you up for the fact that you've been doing this stuff I'm welcoming you in to a greater life a better life a life without shame a life without this incredible pain a life of a forgiven one and so if you hear this if you are listening to this tonight and you are going, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I'm doing this. I must be the worst person on the planet. You're partnering with an untruth. Because what you need to hear tonight is, you've done that, but come home. You've participated with something, but tonight you can be set free. Tonight you can be set free. Brandon, you want to get that clip on forgiveness up? We're going to do one. I wasn't planning on doing this, but we're going to... We're going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to do it tonight. Can you just pause your music for just one sec? Let's just turn our attention to the screen and we'll move from here. Our default position as strugglers is to believe that God's disappointed and frustrated. That he simply is tolerating us. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 says, no, 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 no. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, 
He was going to adopt you, make you holy and blameless in His sight. So whether difficult days or good days, God's at work. God has not abandoned you in this difficult season. How amazing does that make our God that in our hypocrisy, He's long-suffering with us. In our inability to live out all that He would call us to, He continues to lavish upon us His grace. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So I love this word lavish, extravagant, plentiful, over the top. And so now when the Bible's talking about forgiveness, it's saying that His grace in forgiveness is lavish, like it's too much, like it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous amount, right? It's, it's, it's weight, it's over the top. It's out of control man and woman of God in Christ but struggling, God does not regret saving you. He doesn't regret it. You haven't surprised him. You cannot surprise him. God is not watching where you are now, watching how you've struggled this week, watching how you stumble and fall, and regretting the decision to pay the price for you and for You have no sin past present and future that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None. This means that your salvation wasn't just a past event alone, but that Christ even now is continuing to save you. He didn't forgive your past sins and now leaving it up to you to conquer present and future sins, which means it doesn't matter how you came in here. It means God can rescue. It means God can save. And it means for those of us who are in Christ, you do not disgust him. You do not discuss it. You don't know what I struggle with and how deplorable it is. Um, I know that Jesus would say that he paid the bill in full, and so what you're saying is nonsense. That is the grace with which he lavished on us in his forgiveness. And we'll just leave the lights off for a moment. And so in this moment tonight... As we are, as we've been talking about all this stuff, what you need to know is that the Jesus that is standing in the midst of us and his church is looking at you with eyes of love, eyes that are pure and purifying. You remember those eyes of fire? Which means that this wasn't tonight about saying, well, you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong, you're an idiot, you're out, you're done. What this was about tonight was saying, how much of the lies of the culture have you bought into? And you need to begin evaluating it, looking at the bigger picture. Are you participating with truths that are un, are not true, with untruths rather? Are you participating with things that Jesus would say, uh-uh, that's not okay. And looking and going, okay, you're looking at me like this. You need to hear tonight that if you've been looking at porn, you've been doing stuff with other people, you've been participating in stuff that is not good and not holy, he's not going to look at you and go, you are disgusting, you disgust me. He's the God that's gonna do battle with you with the sword of his mouth. He's going to fight for you, not against you. And he's gonna defend you. You don't disgust him.
And that's what's so amazing about our God, is that He invites you and He says, I'm going to clothe you in white. I'm going to make you pure. That's the hope that we stand on tonight. And if you're thinking any other thought, then Jesus' grace is enough to cause me to be able to do battle against the untruths, then you're missing the point. Because Jesus has called you to overcome, and he is going to enable you to overcome. Your job is to pay attention to the untruths that are there and to discern and be active and going, you know what, if this is not what God wants for me, I'm going to run from it. Remember that clip that was played today, this morning? It's not about what is sin and what isn't sin. It's about what's going to help you run. What's going to help you go after him with all your heart? What's going to help you pursue him? And so tonight, I'm not going to, I don't want to embarrass anybody. So we're not going to do specific calls for specific sins. We're all going to stand under the waterfall of his grace tonight and let him wash us individually. And the picture that I want you to get tonight is the God that wants to give you that kind of friendship stone tonight. A white stone with your new name on it. One of the names that you might feel like you have is dirty. One of the names that you feel like you might have tonight is unworthy or unloved or unlovable or wasted. And Jesus is going to give you a new name. Whether you hear that name tonight or not, I don't know. But he's giving you a new name and he's going to give you a white stone. He's going to clothe you in white garments. He's going to take away your impurity and make you pure. Because he is that good. So would you stand with me tonight? Why don't you have your hands in kind of like a position of receiving, whatever that looks like to you tonight. You can have them high, low, whatever. And what I'm going to pray tonight is I'm going to pray for you individually and corporately at the same time. And so as I begin to pray, I want you to participate with kind of putting yourself under that waterfall of God's grace. That overwhelming, too much amount, if you will, that He's going to lavish upon you tonight. And so if you have been sexually promiscuous tonight, there is grace for you. If you've been looking at porn tonight, there is grace for you. If you've been watching TV shows that you would be embarrassed if anybody found out tonight, there is grace for you. If you've been doing things that you know you're not supposed to be doing, and not about not supposed to be doing, you know are causing you to not love Jesus. They're numbing your heart to Him. Tonight's a night when you get the chance to put that away. Tonight's the night when you get to see those chains fall off. And we're going to do that by faith tonight. We get to run out of here. And we get to participate in the life that Christ has. But tonight I'm going to believe and pray with you that those chains, those things that have been holding you, would fall off. 
and that you would come alive and come awake. Come alive and come awake. Come alive and come awake. Jesus says to the church of Sardis, wake up. And he says, keep being watchful, rather. He says, remember what you have received and heard. And remember to participate in that. Keep it. Keep on keeping it. Repent. And receive the acceptance that Christ has given you. So I'm going to pray, and we'll move from here. Jesus, you see everything that we have done with our bodies. You have seen every little movement. You've seen every sleepless night. You've seen every participation in wrongdoing you've seen it all and still you move towards us in love and so I pray that tonight that the truth the untruth that we have believed would be broken the deception that some of us are living in that what we do with our bodies doesn't actually matter because it's not hurting anyone would be destroyed tonight that you would break off and take away the things that are holding us back from you and that we'd be able to run tonight with endurance, that we'd be able to run tonight towards you and towards all that you have, knowing that you created this world in this life for our joy, that we could participate in who you are and that you're not out to kill our fun. Jesus, we pray that you would show us who you really are tonight. And I pray that there would be a receiving of your forgiveness tonight and that there would not be one person Jesus that tonight there would be one person that walks out feeling like they're outside of your love because they've done too much wrong that we would all hear your voice of love saying I want to be connected with you I want to be intimate with you I want to love you and I want to have a friendship with you a life with you that is satisfying and altogether pure and altogether lovely. We trust you, Jesus. Would you do what only you can do in Jesus' name? And everybody said, Amen.